Welcome back to Rethoughts. In this episode, I sit down with two guests, Daniel Winter and Andrew Monroe, authors of Dead by Tomorrow and hosts of the podcast Dead by Tomorrow. In this episode, we discuss what it means to live as if you could die any day. You can find and subscribe to Rethoughts on most podcasting platforms. And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that. You can share us on social media, you can subscribe, or you can become a supporter through Patreon. And you can find that at patreon.com slash rethoughts. I hope you enjoy the conversation. You wear a mask for so long, you forget who you were beneath. Thought has developed traditionally in a way such that it claims not to be affecting anything, but just telling you the way things are. That doesn't make sense. I know exactly what you mean. If you're real, you better tell me right now! What is real? How do you define real? Revolution of the Mind. Daniel, do you want to start uh, by telling us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I currently live in Dallas, but I'm from Amarillo, Texas. That is where Andrew and I met. And I've tried to, to leave Texas in terms of vacation, but I've never made it out of the state as far as where I live. So I went to Texas A&M for school, studied marketing, had a brief uh, kind of flirting with engineering, but uh, that we, we talk about that a little bit in the book, engineering is not my thing. And so from A&M, moved to Dallas and started working in sort of the healthcare consulting world. That's the easiest way to describe what I do. Um, if anybody is more interested in that, our, our company actually has a website that oddly enough, uh, has me in the video describing what a health pro is and what health pros do. I'm not super proud of it, but, um, that's okay. You know, you, you gotta be a little bit humble if you're letting yourself be recorded and, and videoed. So, uh, work for a healthcare consulting company, I'm actually about to become a director there. And then aside from that, um, I'm married to my wife of five years now. We've got a eight-month-old daughter, Riley. And um, yeah, I'm generally kind of into into a lot of different sports types of things, basketball, frisbee, um, really anything that's sort of a, a game. So a little bit of who I am and what I've been doing for the past. 30 years. Uh, Andrew, what about you? What Give us a little bit about yourself. Dang it. I got to go after Daniel. He's, Follow that he's so much prettier than I am. <laughs> it's okay. We, we need contrast here, Andrew. Oh, <laughs> well, that's why we're, that's why we're on a podcast, not a TV show. Oh, it comes through guys. It comes through. <laughs> well, I, I'm in Amarillo. I, uh, for, I think some of your listeners, we've actually done an episode before, so I'm going to pretend that everybody that's heard this heard our previous episode together. But that said, <laughs> they could go um, back and listen. So I'm based out of Amarillo. 
Uh, I work at a company called Plains Internet, and I help do some of their operations, sales, marketing, a whole bunch of stuff. Usually if people ask, I just, I generally deflect the question, which is probably terrible and doesn't help with networking, but it is too complicated and I'm not going to do it to your audience as I don't do it to people I meet. So basically, I do a lot of stuff at Plains Internet. On the side of that, I obviously helped Daniel write a book and I think he did most of the work. So really, I was just kind of just kind of there as, you know, contrast, as he said. And then, you know, I wrote another book called A Leaf and Pebble, which is what we talked about last time. And that's kind of what I want to do. So that's if somebody's really pushing for an answer, I like to think of myself as a creator and a writer. But those are aspects that do not make me much money yet. So there's that. Um, I also have a little marketing agency on the side. Um, it's kind of fun, build websites, do SEO, do some, you know, ad funnels, that kind of stuff. Not a whole lot of business that I do there, but it's really fun to do. And I actually really enjoy that kind of stuff. And I procrastinate writing a lot by building websites. So that probably says more about me than it probably should. Uh, beyond that, uh, I spend a lot of time actually doing that stuff. There's not a lot of time outside of that. Uh, really like video games. If I get a chance, I'll try and play whatever sports are available to play. Um, Amarillo is a little bit more limited to Dallas is, so I get jealous of Daniel a lot because I'll be uh, I'll be hanging out and he'll be out at frisbee or volleyball, and I don't get those opportunities. So that's why it's not fair that he went first because he gets to sound way more interesting on his lifestyle than I do, and that's just rude, Daniel, because I hear it all the time. And you don't have to remind me. So hey, I've tried to get you to move to Dallas at least fifteen different occasions. So. Well, fifteen maybe this month. <laughs> what does that have to do but I, I recommend it dallas is amazing no dallas is cool uh jonah you're from i mean you're not from but like you hung out in denton for a while and denton's a cool city um it's just a cool area it's just emerald keeps getting its hooks in me one way or another and we'll see we'll see what happens i might be here forever i might be here for a month i also might be dead tomorrow so <laughs> you never know but yeah that's about it on my end um i like also petting you know random people's dogs out in public so um you know, it's a weird thing to mention, but it actually happens a lot. So I would think of it as a personality something. I'm not going to call it a flaw, but if there is a dog, I am going to try and pet, pet it, no matter what it looks like or what the owners feel about that necessarily. So that's all there really is to me. Um, I live a pretty simple life besides that in the gym. Uh, I understand you guys have a podcast and a book. So it's kind of like which came first, chicken before the egg kind of thing. Well, and whose the, idea was this? Yeah, the technically the book came first in that we started working on the book first. And then once we started kind of drafting a few chapters, then we started the, the podcast as a way to kind of help market the book. Um, but the idea came from, I mean, Andrew wrote a book called Leaf and Pebble and gave me the chance to sort of edit it a little bit. And... It was just such a fun experience. Almost, it kind of felt like we were writing something. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it kind of felt like we were writing something together. And so then we said, hey, you know what? Why don't we actually write something together? And and that's really where it started from. We just kicked around some ideas and, and landed on sort of um, life advice as something, oddly enough, we felt like maybe we were qualified to give. We've made a lot of mistakes is what he's trying to say. And it was it felt right to tell people about them and how to fix them before they did it too. So on that subject, um, whose idea was it to... I understand that it also comes from some stoic principles as well. So the podcast... The doing a podcast would be the chicken and egg more than the podcast about the book because Daniel and I have talked yeah. about doing a podcast forever. I think we started listening to podcasts back in high school in like 2000 and I don't know, six, seven. 
it might have been sooner than it might have been middle school, but we watched uh, Ask a Ninja and or listened to however you want to put it. And it was technically a podcast. And at least for me, that's my first memory of a podcast. And it was with Daniel. And kind of ever since then, we've always talked about doing a podcast. And, uh, you know, it's a thing. We talked about it. There's a lot of motion, but not a lot of action on making a podcast. And then fast forward, Daniel was the one that was like, yo, I would like to write a book. Do you want to write a book with me? And I was like, I, I don't know how editing a book made you think this would be more fun writing it, but that's that was what he thought. So um, we went ahead and took care of it and started writing this book. And then while we're writing this book, it, it was twofold. You know, podcasts are partly a good marketing platform. It helps you build an audience. And so we're like, okay, we want this book to come out and we want people to actually want to read the book. So we should do something to tell people that this book is coming out. So part of the book's call to action is doing stuff. You know, it is actually taking action, which is a strange call to action. Like, hey, our call to action is taking action. Like it's it's almost redundant, but we won't go down in the meta there. So the call to action was, hey, you should do things. You should take action before it's too late. You should do something today because you never know when tomorrow is going to be guaranteed. And that fed into this, hey, we want to do a podcast. We're talking about if you want to do something, you should do it. And it also went hand in hand with, hey, this is also a decent way that maybe not the best way to do marketing, but it was a fun way for us to kind of market what we were writing about and what we were talking about. And it also helped us on the writing process. You know, we went back and edited some chapters because of podcast episodes we had or guests we had on and kind of filled in information and did that kind of thing. So we, we did all of that kind of stuff because we talked about doing a podcast in general, and then we wrote a book that Daniel wanted to write. And then the podcast was, I guess you could say my fault because I was like, hey, this is something I think we should do from a marketing standpoint. And I, I get to be the marketing guy, I guess, in this relationship we have. <laughs> so uh, that was those were the steps, I guess. Yeah, you make it sound like he made you help write the book or something. <laughs> Gun to my head. He was like, we're writing this book. I was like, no, Daniel, I have another book to write. And he was like, do it or I'll kill you. And I was like, okay, you don't have to be so violent. That's exactly how it went. True. Whatever it's Daniel true. says. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. See, he said Verbatim. it was true. <laughs> we have it recorded too. So, all right. So what, what has this book done for you guys personally? So for me, uh, one, it was really interesting. So the other book was fantasy very much in my own head. I didn't talk about it. Um, Dead by Tomorrow has done a couple things for me. One, it's made me rethink a lot of the habits I have and a lot of the stuff I do because, you know, theoretical. I have theoretical knowledge on how you should live your life. And a lot of it was like, hey, I did this really silly thing or I did this dumb thing or X, Y, Z. I, I did all of this research and I knew all of this stuff and I'm not implementing it. Just like probably half the people we all know. And the other half of the people haven't done the research. There's there's like 1% of people who've done the research and are implementing. So it took me, or it helped. I'm not going to say I'm in that 1% now, but what it did was took that 50% research that I do without a lot of action. And it helped me kind of build more towards taking action because I didn't want to be a hypocrite necessarily. So there was a very personal you know, growth development that happened with writing this book and doing the podcast and all the stuff that comes with it because I want to you know, live what I'm preaching, so to say. So there's been that. Um, it's also, you know, people, uh, and sorry to run anybody's aspirations about me or dreams about what I do, but it, it's funny because I get to see this, this side of people that think 
what I'm doing is really cool and that it, I'm a lot more successful than I am at it. And so I'll have all these people come and ask me for advice on how to write a book or do all these different things. Be- on the outside, it looks successful. And then I get to have that conversation like, oh, actually, I've I've made $10. So like, I get to talk to people like, hey, don't do this because you think that Andrew or Daniel's making all this money because we have a podcast and a book and all this different stuff. I am in no way successful. So understanding all of that, explaining all the work, and then I get to help them at least to the extent that I can. That's been a really interesting experience that has specifically come out from Dead by Tomorrow stuff because I promote it a lot more and it looks a lot flashier and more exciting. That's been kind of fun is getting to meet people and understand people's dreams that they don't really normally share with even their friends or family that are close to them. But they'll come to me because I look like I'm in the same boat as them. And I am. I'm in the same boat as them. They, I want to write. They want to write. They want to do a podcast. I like doing a podcast. We're in the same boat. But they will open up to me and explain these kind of dreams they have and ask me to help them achieve them. And then I have to shatter it a little bit, which I don't enjoy as much, <laughs> but it is it is fun getting to be like, hey, if this is something you care about and you're not expecting to be a millionaire overnight, absolutely, I'd love to help you figure out the basics here or better yet, point you in the right direction of where you can learn much better stuff from other more qualified people than me. And I can show you all the mistakes I made trying to do it on my own. And, you know, hey, you want to write a book, go to YouTube and watch Brandon Sanderson's YouTube seminar uh, from Brigham Young University where he teaches you how to write a book. It's mind-blowingly good. It is. I, I would pay lots and lots of money in hindsight to have watched that video series. Um, I wish I would have done it five years ago. So pointing people to that, being able to say, this guy is great. If you want to write a book, I don't care what kind of book you want to write, go do this. And like just those opportunities. It's really cool getting those opportunities. Yeah, and I would say that when Andrew and I set out to write the book, we sort of decided that even if nobody ever read the book, which $10 is a little bit of an exaggeration in terms of, of profit, but it's not that much of an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, and, and so what we said from the beginning was even if nobody else reads the book, we just want this experience of writing these things out to be a valuable experience. And it truly was. And, and I agree with Andrew that putting pen to paper on these different concepts, these different ideas, kind of having a mindset of what what would I want to share? What is the wisdom that I would share with family and friends? And actually putting that onto paper really did help me to better live some of those types of things out. I find myself sort of applying my own concepts sometimes at work or in life and all those types of things. And it's just kind of cool to see, oh, wow, like, okay, that that actually holds some water. That research that we did or, or that just like reflection that we did here within this chapter, it, it actually has real world application. And so I think that was probably the biggest thing that I got from it was just kind of that really hyper-focused reflection with some research. And, you know, if it, again, if nobody else reads it and applies the concepts, at least Andrew and I are, and we're a little bit better for it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely some things I've pulled from the book and um, gained some insight. Like uh, what Andrew was talking about kind of reminded me of the, I, I have notes from y'all's book. So that way I can, Andrew makes fun of me because it, or not makes fun of me, it gives me a hard time because he thinks I'm going to tear him apart, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but uh, there's on page nine, it talks about like, realistically, you should spend your last day. Uh, wait, realistically, you should spend your last day enjoying the fruits of your labors, whether that be well intended relationships, meticulously honed skills, or tactically acquired wealth. So I note 
Um, so how do we figure that out? How do we figure out how is a, a what is a coherent way of spending um, a last day? You want to take a shot at that, Daniel? Or you want me? Yeah. Well, the the idea of spending a last day is you you really want it to be something that's kind of the you know the the pinnacle of your entire life, and, and really you're probably not going to accomplish anything in one single day. That's, that's pretty hard to do. Certainly nothing that would um, be worth saying I accomplished this on my last day. And so instead it, it really hopefully should be that opportunity to kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, bask in hopefully a life well lived um, that last day. Hopefully you have the chance to look and see all the progress that you've made over um days, months, years of life, you you kind of look and say like, okay, my, my life was well spent. I, I really chased my purpose of life for a lot of my life. And I think a, a danger is a lot of times we sort of get stuck chasing what maybe a society defines as something that is a, you know, a life well spent. Like money is a classic example of that, just sort of building up more wealth or, or building up a better career. But if you've never taken the time to sort of decide, is my life purpose actually to accumulate more money or to advance further in a career? Like, is that something I feel like actually gives meaning to life? And if the answer to that is no, and you get to your last day and you've got a ton of money, really hard for that to be a meaningful last day. You know, um, you need to take time right now to be defining what is my life's purpose? What are the things that I really value? What are the things where if I get to the end of my life and I look and see, wow, like I, I kept really deep relationships with friends. I had a really great relationship with my spouse. I raised great kids. Can you get to your last day and say that? Well, well you got to be doing things about that today. Or do you want to become a CEO and like build a great company and, and really, you know, amass some wealth? Again, define that now so that you get to the end of your life and you feel like, okay, maybe I said no to becoming a dad, you know, that could be mm-hmm. a life well spent if, if that truly was something you felt like was your life's purpose. I, I've got a visual I want to add to what Daniel was saying, because everything he said is right. And these are things you need to determine so you can get to that last day, right? The way I think about it in a visual way, because I'm a broken nerd, is uh, Bilbo's 90th birthday party. I'm sorry, it's not his 90th birthday party, but Bilbo's birthday party. I'm not going to guess the number. 111th. 111th. Thank you, Dan. I was going to get there. (laughs) So Bilbo's 111th birthday party is this massive gathering. Everybody gets together and he's got all of his friends, family that he cares about. He gets to feast and party. And, you know, it's not like a rager kind of party. It's this, this kind of joyful celebration. So I think taking that context, and this is a visual tool, and this is, you got to determine your values first. You got to determine what value. If you don't want to hang out with anybody and you don't want to see people and you just want to have a legacy of massive wealth and big corporation, whatever it is, like, yeah, maybe that's not going to be it. But you want to have this celebration at the end of your life that's people can be like, hey, you made this impact, you did this thing, and there's there's joy and happiness and whatever you think is going to have the biggest impact to you and the people around you that brings you contentness. It might not even be happiness, but if you can make other people's lives better and you can have something at the end of your day where everybody is with you and you have that community aspect, for me at least, that's what I think people should consider and what the steps are to get there. Your fruits of your labor. 
Yeah. Has anything come up uh, since writing the book that you wish you had were able to add to it? Ooh, Jonah, coming in hot. Yeah. Um, so actually kind of what I was just talking about. I And this is more recent to me. And there's, there's plenty of stuff we talked about on the podcast that were like, hey, I, I kind of wish we would have added that or fleshed out a chapter more. Um, putting putting all that kind of stuff out there that is more more of than what we put because the, the book's pretty short right um, I feel I, we could have fleshed out the chapters more but specifically something that wasn't a add-on or part of the theme I really do wish we would have talked about values a little bit more and determining what kind of value you should be finding and how that should drive what you're looking for and we talked a little bit about principles and it kind of goes hand in hand but the two of those were something that we didn't touch on much but that's kind of your compass on how you decide to live day to day and so the actions you're taking every day need to be matching up with what you think is important and what you value and i'm one of these people it is hard for me to put a finger on specifically like hey these are the things that matter the most to me in life and mm. that knowing that i have trouble with that i assume other people do too and so maybe putting some tools in and explaining a little bit on why you should consider that kind of stuff and how you should go about it and figure out what it is i think that would have been a nice extra chapter on figuring out who like the core you is so you can aim the arrow in the right direction and work on those little daily steps to have a more fulfilled life. Yeah. Uh, one, one concept I bring up a lot is uh, this idea of coherence. And it sounds kind of like that's what, what you're essentially talking about. So to be coherent in what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, our actions have to be in line with the thoughts and the desires and beliefs and all of those things. So anything that's going on in your head, your actions have to be in line with it. And so uh, by default, many people live incoherently. So they're design they're designing a reality that they don't intend versus a reality that they do intend. And I'm kind of I'm kind of working on my own book about this kind of concept, but um yeah, absolutely. So I was I love that you bring in the cuz that's one thing that uh I was reading the the book and I was like it's it's missing this one element or yeah, this, this is uh, a big decision maker on how, how am I going to live my life today? You know? So when I asked the question, well, what is it? Uh, how do, how do we do it coherently? Um, when we're quote unquote living our last day or attempting to live our last day as if every day is our last day. Um, so what, what the, the key there is, well, values for one thing, principles, morals, these thoughts, these desires, everything has to line up. But, but yeah, Daniel, do you have anything to say on, on the question on anything you wish you could add to the book? I, I mean, one of the obvious things would probably just be some of the things that you learn when you become a parent. Um, I, I think there are probably other work stories and, and things like that where I could add to the book. And for me, I, I think what that might boil down to is almost a, a sort of epilogue that says, all right, we wrote this book and now it's a year later. And here's how it's actually gone for us trying to take some of these different concepts and, and sort of apply them. And one thing that we did in the book is we, we put this, um, sort of section called building blocks where we took things from previous chapters and, and sort of pulled them together. And so, you know, we might've talked about commitment in one chapter, and then we talk about sort of social relationships in another. And so we talk about how those sort of things can 
intersect together and how you can use those things together. And I think that plays a little bit into what you're talking about with coherences. All right, there, yeah, there are values. Um, yes, there is a certain advice, but how are we pulling it together? And so, yeah, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would add in is what is it actually looked like for us? What what are the stories that have come? And uh, there there have certainly been several moments where I'm in a one-on-one with somebody from one of my teams and we're working through this problem and I almost have to bite my tongue because I want to be like, actually, this reminds me a lot of a chapter from my book. And I'm, I know the moment that I said that, they'd be like, and you are the most you know egotistical douchebag that I've ever worked with. Uh, so I haven't done that, but I feel like it, it would be an interesting exercise to do. Yeah, I have a tendency to do that with uh, uh, my podcast. I'm like, yeah, I have, a, I have an episode about that. And I reference it mid-conversation. They're like, real eye roll. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just can't help it. But, um, yeah, that there's – I can see how, you know, doing like a second edition of the book could could be kind of cool to see how it, y'all have implemented um, what you teach. Uh, and that's actually, you know, one of the questions I, I have coming up is how well do you feel like you practice what you teach? Yeah, it depends on the day. It also, maybe it depends on how much I wrote the chapter versus how much Andrew uh, <laughs> wrote the chapter. We we are certainly different, again, going for that, uh, that whole contrast thing. I will say that to shout out Andrew, he wrote a lot of our chapter um, called Four Letter Words, which is very much focused on letter or sorry, words to avoid because we're, we're not talking about, mm. you know, the curse words and those types of things. I mean, that's something I personally avoid. I think Andrew relishes using them. Uh, again, we're a little <laughs> different there. Um, more so words like busy or very. Those are two words that I find myself kind of wanting to use often, especially in the work sense. And so, you know, it's tough to get around. I I do have a lot of things that would externally classify me as a busy person. And there are a lot of times that at work, somebody asks, you know, how my day is. And I look at my calendar and I've been in, you know, six hours of meetings and have received a hundred emails. And it's very tempting to say my day has been busy, but I think of that chapter and I avoid saying that word and and I think through, all right, well, were those good meetings? Maybe I say my day has been productive or I say my day has been energizing or maybe those were a lot of things that I, I didn't necessarily need to be involved in and I got pulled in and it's kind of kind of gummed up the day. Maybe I use a word to say inefficient instead. That's Those are much better descriptors of what is actually happening. And then it also makes me reflect a little bit about, do I feel good about this day as opposed to just throwing out the the common busy term. And so I, I will say that that's one I feel like I've practiced much better. And I, I will say thank you, Andrew, for putting <laughs> that into the book. Of course. I'm with Daniel on that. That is one of my favorite, maybe not favorite. There's a lot of stuff in there I really like, but the word busy is such a, it's not because it's important necessarily. It's because it's so frequent. That is something that you, Jonah, Daniel, I have heard today. I, I can guarantee that someone has told you today, if you ask somebody how their day was doing or what's going on or anything like that, they said it was busy or they're busy. It is such a constant, constant thing where somebody's just like, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. And it takes away so many opportunities. They they could be using this like, oh, I ran into this thing earlier today. It's been a good day, but like I ran into this problem. Do you happen to have any ideas on this or you want to brainstorm? It, it 
it's a way for us to shut out so many different things that we don't need to. It doesn't do anything for us. And it's just this cultural habit we have. So I'm not saying busy is the most important thing in the book because it's not. There's a lot more, honestly, important things in the book, but on a truly day-to-day thing, multiple times a day, that's one of the chapters that really pings me as well. It's just constantly, someone says, I'm like, oh, there's that word again. Yeah, those those four little words get me for sure. I, I That's one thing that I've pulled from the book is trying not to say busy, especially that word, because um, I, I feel like I have a tendency to do that too. I mean, I even said it today. I think it was in a different context. Uh, we had a customer asking how business has been. Uh, so, you know, busy. We've been busy, like because we have been busy this month. But uh, I feel I feel like that's a little different. Other than uh, aside from saying, you know, like, well, how have you been busy? You know, and just it's like it's almost a cop out um, admitting that you're not actually that busy. You're just not using your time efficiently or something. Hundred percent. But but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, same question to you, Andrew. Uh, how well do you feel like you practice what you teach? Oh, dude, I fail every day. Every day, <laughs> I I fail miserably at what I am trying to get across. And it's not the same failure necessarily. Some of it is, um, but I'm always missing something. I'm not even close to doing everything right yet. So, which is good, I guess, because then I, I get to work on something I know, like I have a roadmap. And so it's nice on one hand because it's like, hey, here's the path. You just got to walk it. I don't have to rediscover a new path right now. You know, if I, would, if I had everything locked down and tight, um, I, you know, the stress of coming up with a new thing to work on because I'm one of those people that I can't not do something. So, yeah, you know, there was a thing broken in the elevator the other day and we're riding up the elevator. I'm like, I have to fix this. I have to try and fix this thing. And that's how I feel about me. And I feel about other people around me is like, I'm constantly looking for that improvement, looking at stuff. So despite not being able to accomplish 90% of it every day, it's, it's fun trying and that's what it really counts. So yes, miserable failure over here. Yeah. That's, that's important to admit too, to anybody who reads or follows your content is, you know, I am not, I'm not perfect by any means. Um, don't worry, man. I don't think anyone thinks that about me, honestly. I thought you were perfect. The, from the moment I saw you, I thought you were perfect. And then I took my shirt off. You're like, I thought this guy liked working out. <laughs> uh, is this is this someone else? <laughs> right. He's catfishing me. All right. What? Okay. So what is, what is, I mean, you, y'all both seem like uh, y'all have these building blocks of other people's advice and research that y'all have done and then y'all's own experiences. So what is one piece of advice that has had the most impact on you? The one piece of advice that's had the most impact. Dang it, Jonah. <laughs> that's tough, man. <laughs> Probably some kind of quote. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not sure which quote necessarily. Um, there's a lot of books that I really like, but also depending on which book I read most recently, seems to be the one I like the most. Um, Stoicism has been something I've tried a lot to go for, and that's been pretty handy. And that just might be because it's you know in vogue right now, and there's some really good books and really good you know, content coming out about it. Um, that's been really effective for. Maybe not effective, but I've really seen it as something impactful on me. So you've got that. Um, there's a quote by, I believe it was Hemingway. Um, and I always butcher the actual people who said the quote, so not great at that. But basically the gist of the quote is the goal of life is not to live a happy life or you know joyful or anything like that. The, the goal of life is to live a life well-lived. And saying that, there was a guy who just yesterday. Um, He's a professor at WT whose name I also forget. Really, really sweet guy, really smart guy. Um, 
he was talking about all the different things that he's had surgery on and you know his left arm is fused together and he's got both of his knees and both of his hips replaced and just you know the whole boat he's got the whole boat he's practically a cyborg and we're talking in line at palace and he was like all of this is the cost of a childhood well spent and i would never trade it for anything in the world i'd do it again exactly despite all the pain of the surgeries and all the lack of mobility now and all the different issues i had a great time (laughs) earning all of these surgeries down the road so and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I want to be able to say at the end that all the scars were worth it and all the all the broken bones, all of the pain and suffering and probably multiple surgeries that I'm gonna have to get on knees and shoulders and who knows what else. I want it to mm. I want it to have meant that I lived well. And that's that's the goal I try and walk. And that's some of the best advice I've heard. I love that. Yeah. I think uh in review for this podcast, I'd listen to a couple of y'all's and I think you use that same quote. But you said Emerson said it. So oh, it, it just, probably was Emerson. I'm a big Emerson fan, so I bet it was him. Yeah, I just I just got to call you out real quick. So. <laughs> I told you I don't remember, yeah. and I'm imperfect, way way imperfect. It's Dang it! I'm sorry, Emerson. I'm, I'm I mean, sorry, Hemingway. It's fresh on my brain, so you know <laughs> that's that's why I know. Well, at least you know I'm well, honest. Exactly, exactly. I keep you honest. That's the thing, thanks, though. brother. Daniel, what about you? Yeah, I I think. A lot of it centers around relationships and sort of empathy and sort of benefit of the doubt. And and I was trying to think through a little bit of where where did that sort of advice come from? Is it a particular quote or or anything like that? And I guess the two information sources that I draw from a little bit is um, one, like I think we've all heard the whole you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, that kind of concept like that. That's actually something that I've taken to heart and I think is actually a really valuable experience to try to um, go through before sort of issuing judgment or or issuing intent or those types of things. And, and then another, uh, I guess, piece of advice or, or quote or whatever you want to call it, it, it just comes from the um, I, I think it's somewhere in, in Matthew in, in the Bible is talking about, you know, don't uh, judge a brother or try to remove a speck from a brother's eye when you have a log in your own. And, and just kind of this idea of, I, I think we so often look at others and see problems there and so often do not look at ourselves and see the problems that we have that are, are, are sort of contributing to that. We don't give benefit of the doubt to others. And a lot of times it, it sort of uh, creates this negative spiral where we assume the worst of somebody and then we act like we live like it's true. And so then we become more bitter towards that person. Our actions change towards that person. They obviously notice that and they may actually start to exhibit some of the things that we think they're doing or whatever it is like oh i knew they didn't like me and it's like actually it it may have been because you you started acting like they didn't like you and then they started (laughs) to not like you because of that and i don't know just this idea again of really taking the time to put yourself in somebody else's shoes to observe and look at yourself and give somebody sort of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to conflict when it comes to relationships all those types of things I, yeah that's that's been a godsend for me in a like a people management position just avoiding over 
reacting in scenarios and like really getting to the bottom of stuff. So yeah, I I guess if I had to say where that came from, I, I think it's probably the the whole walking a mile in somebody else's shoes and then the the Bible story of uh the the speck and the log. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. That reminds me of uh I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um two of the agreements are don't take anything personally and don't make assumptions. Yeah. Our our most well our pin ultimate podcast uh guest or so not Donna, Andrew's mom, but Cedric uh, actually talked about reading that book, talked about those agreements. And they're so true. Um, it's so true. Yeah. And they're succinct, too. They're easy to remember. I mean, there's four of them. Like, <laughs> come on. The book is like 120 pages and it's a small book. So I highly recommend it if y'all haven't read it already. Um, there's a lot of a lot you can get out of it. But yeah, oh, I'm I'm totally reading it because Cedric brought it up, and now you've talked about it. It was on my list already, but now I guess it has to be like my next book or two. <laughs> yeah, the Toltec, the Toltec philosophy book, philosophy books, man. Sweet, um, I'm excited. They, yeah, they're amazing. But um, I want to dive into the questions that y'all pose at the end of y'all's book. So, what would be your biggest regret if you died tomorrow? Oh, you know, I can't pretend like I haven't thought about this one because we did put it in the book. (laughs) So, and this is a little cliched, uh, but to me, one of the big regrets I would have is I have put a fair number of maybe pleasures or things I've wanted to do on hold um, for work, you know, chasing goals. And so things like living in a different city, you know, I, I got to live in Japan for a really small, brief period of time. And I got to live in Lubbock for a few years for college. And those were both really good experiences, but I haven't gotten to, you know, live on the West coast, East coast. I haven't gotten to live truly and see a whole year through another country's eyes. So these are all things I want to do. And it's been a, well, I can, I can do that later. I can do that down the road right now. I really need to grind into this thing or I need to really work on this thing or, you know, Hey, maybe I need to have more money saved up before I do this because it's risky or whatever it is. So probably one of my biggest regrets, if I drop dead tomorrow and it's like, Hey, in an hour, you're going to be dead. I'd be like, dang it. I never got to go to New Zealand. I never got to climb something in Switzerland. I never got to, you know, stay up and do all this, whatever, all the different things. There's a whole list, (laughs) long lists. Um, so that, that's the long answer. A short answer, if I was going to drop dead, I'd just be, I, I'd wish I'd spent the last bit of time being more thoughtful to family and friends. You know, it's the same, same problem on a more minor scale where I have neglected relationships to an extent, or I don't, I don't pour enough into other people because I'm too busy doing my own thing, you know, and I haven't taken the time to truly get out of life what, what life is about, which to me is relationships with people. Mm. Yeah. How long did you spend in Japan? Oh, just four months. Okay. okay. So short. that came up. That came up and I had to ask. Sorry. <laughs> what about you, Daniel? Yeah, I think mine is pretty easy. So while I would certainly uh, regret not, a, not getting to travel the world more, um, I, I could probably live with that. My biggest regret would definitely be not getting to see my daughter grow up and not being there to teach her what life is about to um, just experience all of those, those first little moments. So that's a uh, hands down the thing that I would most regret would, would most be upset about. Yeah. I don't have any kids, but I have three nieces and it's cool watching them grow up. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, like I, like Andrew said, so cliche and I am sure, and I completely understand like anybody that doesn't have kids probably, you know, does a little eye roll, but it's the truth. Um, it, it really is. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I don't know. I roll. I mean, I, I love my nieces. I mean, I'm not their father, but it, there is this sense of wonder that you have when you're interacting with a child and you're like authentically there with them and you love them. And I mean, there's just nothing like it. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm not a dad, but I love kids. So yeah, no eye roll here. <laughs> what would you regret be, Jonah? It. Let's turn Ooh. it around on you. Ooh. All right. Well, Here's here's the thing. I you mentioned deflecting questions. And this is, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'll, I'll I'll play. I'll play this game. Uh, you know, I okay. So I had this interesting phenomena of I was I was driving home one day, and I've thought about this a lot because I've always been the type to consider my my death. Like even as a, like 12 year old, like thinking about the ephemeral nature of just everything and how I'm gonna die. And I don't, what am I going to do about it? Um, so I've had time to consider what I would do with my life. Um, but recently I'd had this, like I said, this sensation while I was driving of just peace coming over me of like, I could die right now. I could die right now and I would be fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be bothered. I wouldn't, I would be content with the, the things that I've put out, the, interactions I've had with my life or uh, with my loved ones and friends. And um, I mean, there, there are obviously some things that I would regret having done. Uh, I'm not proud of everything I've done, but um, I feel like I choose to live my days uh, as coherently as I can. Uh, and like you said, I mean, you fail every day at practicing what you teach and I fail every day at practicing what I teach, but I, break myself, I disrupt my pattern behavior to live more coherently. And, um, but if I had to choose something, I think I might regret not writing more, not putting ideas down on paper, um, as much as I should be doing or feel like I should be doing. So I feel that one. All right. The next question in the book is what could you do today to avoid that regret? <laughs> Such an easy, easy question to answer too. Well, obviously on the writing front, write more. <laughs> we could eat, yeah. we could do that. Um, it's something I need to do today that I probably won't get to uh, because I'm not going to, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be motivated after this. But some of the stuff is bigger. It's bigger picture. And, you know, I could plan a trip and hope for the best. Hope I make it to the trip. Um, you know, I'm going to Kansas City this weekend, so I'm, I'm halfway there. Um, but maybe planning something bigger is would be a good option. I need to get something in the book because I probably should have something international booked up anyways. Like, why not? It could be in a year, but I should have something I'm looking forward to like that, that if it's going to be such a regret for me, if I don't do it, I should be making those steps, you know, planning it. And tickets are pretty dang cheap right now, so I should at least start there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get something in the books for sure. Also, Daniel obviously has to invent some kind of invulnerability suit or something because... Well, I think, I think it means, you know... What what am I doing right now to make sure that when I do die, I'm not like, oh, I, I regret, you know, not being there for Riley. So it's just prioritizing the the moments that I I spend with her and, and you know, being excited about it. Because, yeah, I mean, being a parent is fun, but also like she's been sick this past week and woke up a couple of times in the middle of the night, like screaming her head off. And I would hold her and get her to where she was sort of asleep and then lay her down in her crib. And the second her head like touches 
the the pillow she starts screaming it off again and like that's an upsetting moment um but if i have more of this perspective if i have more of this perspective of you know these these moments are precious and if i were dying tomorrow like i would have really cherished even that time in the middle of the night holding you know screaming infant oh yeah well i mean there's also you can you know do everything you can to make sure your health is at least in order sure. to make it to those those uh prime years of her of her life dude yeah that, that's a great point daniel actually got yeah. me onto this sipson science thing uh every thursday maybe not every thursday daniel probably knows more but they'll do this talk with a psychologist or somebody that's smarter than us and they explain hey here's things about your brain and the latest one actually the only one i've truly watched all the way through was about being left of boom is what they called it and that was that's what left of boom is is taking proactive steps to you know uh a pen what is it a i can't remember the idiom but basically it's way easier to prevent something than it is to fix something after something bad's happened so taking care of your health all of the information's out there that is a great way to make sure you live longer is taking all those preventative steps you know not making super dumb decisions not being really unhealthy and all that kind of jazz so that's that's probably something we should all be doing every day oh yeah taking care of yourself for sure i i've i mean i work out fairly consistently so i've people ask me you know what do they need to do to like look like me and i'm like I mean, I've been there. I've been in the position that you're in where you want to lurk, look a certain type of way, but you really got to make it about something else because it doesn't, that mentality doesn't last. That mentality doesn't get you to the gym as much as you uh, like to take care of yourself, as much as you should be. Like if you're just simply trying to take care of yourself, if you want to be able to, um, I don't know, hike up a mountain when you're 50 or do basically anything that comes up you want to be able to do it like run a spartan race if it came up or something like that i mean that's a little exaggeration but i want to be fit enough to get up out of my seat you know because i see people struggle to do that i see people you know say they want to be there for their child when they're like like daniel's saying and but they don't live a healthy lifestyle and it's like well i mean your odds of making it to that point in 18 years you're like you're putting the odds against you at this point. I don't really know what else to tell you. <laughs> yep, that's good. Spot on. I mean, mine, um, what could I do to avoid that regret? Regret, Like you said, is just right. So simple as that. That's what Next you're... question. Go ahead. What were you well, I was going to say that's what you're going to be doing after this then, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And who would you regret not having spent more time with? Well, Daniel cheated. He kind of answered. He, he knew the questions. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Daniel, did you read our book? I can give a different book. answer to that, though. I mean, because I, I do spend a good amount of time with Riley. But I think right now uh, I have family in Amarillo, my grandparents and my parents and I do not see them nearly as much as I used to in that kind of like something that's been weighing on me that we just talked about being this left of boom and all that sort of thing is my grandparents, you know, I don't know how much longer I have with them. My dad's even had uh, a lot of sort of health stuff. And, and so like, I don't think it's anything that where I'm going to lose him anytime soon, but it's just this mindset of, you know, that that's a limited time. And I want to make sure that I spend time with them. I want them to also get to spend time with Riley, their first grandbaby, great granddaughter, all that stuff. So that's what I would probably say. Yeah. What about you, Daniel or Andrew? Sorry. Excuse me. You're good. 
there are not a lot of people that I wouldn't regret not having spent more time with. Um, mm. Just about any of my friends, any of my family. Um, there is, I don't think there is a person that I love that I don't think that I should spend more time with. And maybe it's my weird extrovert relationship thing, but I, I don't think I could name a single person of like, oh, that's the person that I've neglected. Because um, I've, I've neglected everybody all in, in whichever way. So yeah, all of them, all the peoples and all the people I don't know. That's what drives me nuts. There's people out there that I'm going to love on and I, I don't know them yet. And that drives me nuts, man. I mean, I'm waiting for you to say me like explicitly like Jonah, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I told you my love language was coffee and workouts. We got it in on Saturday, man. I'll see you next year. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. So this, this, uh, this weekend. Oh, wait. Now I'm in Kansas. Remember? Yeah, well, Priorities, man. You can come with us. Shalom is going to be confused, but it's okay. The next question is, who are the five most important people in your life? Uh, I'll take a shot at it. Um, so, and let me give you some context. I don't know if we gave it in in that context in the book, which would have been a failing on my part. The reason we asked that question is there's a lot of, maybe not studies necessarily, but a lot of common agreements that you are the average of the five people closest to you. So, and, it, and it's not the five people you like most or the five people that you think you would like to be the most. It is the five people you spend the most time with. So answering that, the five people I spend the most time with would be Shalomi, um, probably my dad, because uh, we work together. Um, and then I see him a lot outside of that. Probably my cousin Derek, because I see him a fair bit. Um, and then Daniel, I could probably, because I annoy the hell out of him on a pretty regular <laughs> basis, uh, even though it's, uh, it's virtual, uh, Daniel hears from me probably more than he cares to. And then for my fifth, hmm, I'll have to come back to you on the fifth. I've got four right there. That um, changes the question too. Yeah. Sorry. If there's somebody <laughs> I'd have good. to think on it, it'd be a mix of my brother, um, maybe coworkers as a whole, um, and or my mother, um, I see her a fair bit. Um, the fifth one's always could the be hardest, the last one, yeah, because because you're essentially one. eliminating all other options. Yeah, everybody else is gone. Uh, our game night on Monday, I spend there's a, a number of guys in there that I equally spend, you know, numerous hours Monday plus a little bit other time in the week. I'd probably put that as a I'm going to cheat and include like three or four people into a single <laughs> unit and say basically all these people that we play games with on Monday night would be probably my fifth because that's who I spend a lot of time at least virtually talking to. And, you know, work doesn't really count, I don't think, for all my coworkers because it's we're doing work. But game night is where we talk about stuff and we, you know, it's it's something we actively choose to do. And I think that's important in terms of when you're considering who you're spending time with. Like if you're if you're stuck with this coworker all day and night, but you don't like them and you don't actually do anything or respect them and it's just forced upon you, that might not count towards your five person. So mine would definitely be my wife, Hillary. And then a buddy named Brett who lives down the street. And so very close in proximity. Um, and I, I would actually probably say pretty high up there is my boss, Lauren, at work. Um, so I, I totally get what you're saying, Andrew. But I would say that in this instance, there's a lot of respect. I've learned a lot from Lauren um, and it's not just kind of a forced upon you sort of sort of thing. Sure. So I, I've certainly seen aspects of at least my work style that have been influenced by that close proximity. Um, I would also say, Andrew, that's, you know, a virtual virtual connection. And um, yeah, that, 
I totally hear you on the whole the whole game night thing. Like Michael and and Jonathan and and Kurt. I actually got lunch with Kurt today. Um, th- I do spend a lot of time with them, but for my fifth, I would probably have to say my sister Beth, who up until recently lived with us and now has moved out. But we we certainly spend a lot of time together. I think there's a lot of uh, formation that happens from that. Nice. Yeah. So that kind of changes the rest of the questions because the rest of the questions following that are kind of based on who's most important, not necessarily who you spend the most time around. Um, you can't do that to us on public channels. <laughs> this is going to be MySpace all over again, Jonah. <laughs> yeah, right. But I, I love like the answers are great. I was also curious to see if uh, Andrew went first. So I was curious to see if Daniel um, Andrew to his <laughs> list as well uh, to see if it was It was purely consensual. a kindness on his part, secretly. Yeah, right. There's a six he, person. He, obligation. <laughs> obligation to what Andrew just said. Um, well, I mean, I guess we could still do what, what kind, uh, do they know the impact that they have on you? I don't think a lot of people do. Um, and I think that is a failing on my part and maybe Daniel's better about this. I won't speak for him. Most people I think fail at that. And I definitely fail at that. I do not give enough credit to the people around me. I don't show enough appreciation. I don't, I don't give that kind of, Hey, you, you mean a lot to me, or I really appreciate this thing you taught me. Um, my, my ego is, is too fragile and I'm working on it, but I, it almost feels like maybe weakness. I know it's not, but it feels in the moment like, Hey, this person did me a kindness or something. And it's like, well, man, I wish it wouldn't have had to do that thing for me or had that impact on me. Cause that means I was lacking. So it's really hard for me to validate other people's impact on me because I, you know, I got my own issues. We all have issues. We all have issues, babe. All right. What's that song? There's a song called Issues. We all have issues. Oh, I'm the wrong guy to ask that, man. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Daniel, I know. Daniel's turn. It sounds like a Lassia Cara song, but don't hold me to that. I think it is. Music (laughs) savant over there. I I was thinking through those that I listed. I feel like most of them have a a good idea. My, My problem is that I sort of take the mindset that once I've expressed, I don't know, something once, then... Like, yeah, you should know that I, I value you and you've had a, a big impact on me. So, you know, Andrew, you probably haven't heard that from me in like 15 years. I, I probably <laughs> have said it at some point in time. No, you uh, you wrote me a letter at your wedding. Okay. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> so five years. Yeah. No, and I'm the With same the way. It really decade. is. One and done. And he, and he still reads it. I went back and read it once or twice. That was, that was nice. an emotional day for me, man. <laughs> I actually found it just the other day. I was searching for. Because it was actually an email, and I was mm-hmm. looking for something, and I went down a rabbit hole in the back end of my emails, and I was like, "Oh, there's a letter from Daniel. That was a fun day." So that was actually pretty. I was listening to the last few weeks actually that I saw that. Yeah, and I, I had the forethought. I was like, I could write a nice letter, but the chances are, like, that will get lost. But oh, absolutely. Email, glad... Don't lose an email. No, not unless you're intentionally getting rid of it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, very good idea. I mean, this next question. How do you determine who they are? Um, it's kind of self-explanatory if, if you're framing the other question as who you spend the most time around. Um, but how do you determine, I guess, how do you determine who's the most important in your, or who's important in your life? Is it proximity? Is it time? Well, I, 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 do, I do think some of it is, is looking at who you're spending a lot of the time with and, and who you're kind of picking habits up from and then being intentional about if you're not happy with who might fall into that five changing it up and i'll give a shout out to brett 
because when when he and I first started um, hanging out a little bit more and, you know, we played Frisbee together. So I have a whole bunch of Frisbee friends, but Brett was somebody who was really intentional in it. I still remember he sent me this text after we had hung out and he, uh, I think he was like getting after yoga, like not in a good way. Like he was talking about how dumb it was or something like that. And he sent me a text and he was like, Hey man, um, can we take our friendship to the next level? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he was like, cool. Um, can I ask like, if I'm, if I'm really just bagging on something and you know, I'm, I'm being really unfair about it and it's kind of bringing other people down or whatever it is, like, will you just call me out on that? Like, will you call me out on that in love and, and kind of help hold me accountable to it? And, you know, I said, absolutely. And I, I told him, you know, Hey, I, I really value the relationship that you and Angela have. And, and so, you know, call me out if I'm, if I'm just kind of being like sour grapes towards Hillary when I shouldn't be. And so we just kind of had this moment of, Hey man, like let's take our relationship to the next level and he was really intentional about it. And so I think that's something that you can do is figure out who your five is. If you're not happy with it, you've got the power to change that up. Man, I freaking love Brett. He is the best. It's very vulnerable and open. What about you, Andrew? How do you determine who's important? So in a a broader view, Dan, I mean, Brett's a perfect example. That is exactly. You see, if that opportunity comes along, you're like, hey, this person was vulnerable and open with me and asked for me to help them improve or hell, just said, hey, I'm trying to improve. So like, that's the boat I'm on. Those are the kind of people you want in your life, honestly, in my opinion. So if if you see anybody that even seems like they're that kind of person, you know, talk to them. See if that's the case. Who you actually have and determine like, hey, I've got 10 people that I see on a semi-regular basis. Who should be the, the most important person here or here are the, who are the top five? I think the people who have the most impact on you are going to be, you know, the biggest factors there if you have a significant other um, that's probably should be a pretty high priority if you have a really good friend or a family member who you really click with or who you do a lot of stuff with or anything like that, they should be a priority. Now that said, there's, again, this is my soapbox. You need to also be able to recognize that part of this question is saying, hey, if you look at these people who you are spending time with or who you think are important to you and they are not matching your values or your principles and they are lowering the average that you think you should be at, then you need to get rid of that person in your life. So if you have a significant other who is not a Brett, or if you have a family member who is treating you like trash, or you have a friend who gets upset with you because you're like, hey, I want to better myself, or I want to, you know, you have a great marriage, and I want to be like you and something. And they're like, dude, I don't want to talk to you. That's I don't like this kind of stuff. Like, I just want to live my life. I want to watch anime and hang out or whatever. And again, no shade on anime. We've talked about that before. But you know what I'm talking about. If those people are there and you're like, wait, this person is not pouring into me or not letting me pour into them. And it's a very dead end relationship. You don't have to like fire them out of your life, but they should not be one of the most important people in your life. Unless that's what you want. If your priority is you have hit equilibrium and you are just, this is exactly where you want to be. One, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast, talking about this book or anything. We are the wrong people for you. But if that's where you're at, great. Those are the people for you. But if they're not lining up with what you are trying to do in your life, you need to make that hard choice to get rid of them. Is it coherent to keep them in your life? Back to coherence. All t- it all ties in. 
Next question is, if you could tell or show every one of your friends something, what would it be? I don't know. There are so many things that I think are important and I'm very passionate about. That has always been one of my problems is I, I have trouble zeroing that focus on something. I want, I, I want to hit like 12 different things in 12 different days. So there's some really important books that if I, if I really had a gun to my head, I'd probably pick a book of some kind because that's kind of my love language is books. So I don't know which one off the top of my head. It'd be something like that. Um, I'm on a big Bo Burnham thing right now. So I really think Make Happy and Inside were really good. Um, but if we're going to go all the way and I haven't seen Lord of the Rings, I think I'd say Lord of the Rings. Extended edition, uncut, <laughs> all the way through. They're getting nine hours or 12 hours. I can't remember how long it is. So good. You know, I, I was waiting for like something really insightful. Hey, man. I mean, not that Lord of the Rings is not insightful, <laughs> <Yeah>. but. <laughs> we can all learn from Viggo Mortensen. We can. True. We can. <laughs> yeah. Watch. Don't just watch the movies. Watch the appendices on how it was all made. And it's it's a whole nother level. That's that's definitely what I would say is like my fun answer. I feel like it like my real answer is if if I'm like showing friends or, or people something, you know, it, it would be to truly examine what you believe in terms of faith. And so where I'm at, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, so that's I would have to say like, yeah, read the Bible. But I I would just encourage you to have an honest conversation with yourself on that. Like, where do you stand? And that's something I think a lot of times it's just, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to really think about it. I'm not going to really pursue it. I'll either stick with what I grew up with or I just won't think about it because I'm going to die like a hundred years from now. So who really cares? Um, so, I mean, that like if we're getting down to what is my honest, true answer, that's what I would pick. But I'll give you a fun one, too, because I know that's a little heavy. If you come to Dallas, go to Cidercade. It's the coolest place in Dallas. Ooh, that is pretty fun. What is it called? Cidercade. It's it's Bishop Cider's like cider brewery that is an arcade. You pay $10, and there's two gigantic rooms filled with all sorts of arcade games, and then like 30 different ciders on tap. So you know all what? Right. Go go uh, to Cidercade, play some, play some games, and then... When you're nice and lubricated, go out in the patio and, and uh, open up whatever religious text you grew up with and figure out, like, what do I actually think about this? I love how you used lubricated <laughs> in that context. That was great. I, I will be right there. I will be right there to get lubricated at Cidercade because I have to experience that. Well, I hope you all are lubricated for this next question because it's, uh, are you happy? I'm skipping a little bit. I I definitely am. I, I have no doubt about that. There are times that I have big questions about things and get stressed about stuff. I I think everybody does. But as a whole, man, I, I wouldn't trade my life with anybody in the world, I, I would say. I, I can definitely say I'm happy. I'm with Dan. See, I, I hate straightforward answers. <laughs> which we gave my mom crap for the other day. <laughs> I wonder where I got it from. Uh, I'm Gray is my favorite color because it's this like lovely in-between color of you know possibility and change. So regularly, I think I'm happy a lot of the times, but there's a lot of the times where I'm not. And I, I hate to say, yes, I'm happy because there's days where I'll wake up and I'm not. I'm not happy at all. And I'm, I'll, you know, Bo Burnham, I'll watch Bo Burnham and it makes me so sad because it's not, it's not making me sad. It's pulling sadness that I carry with me out. And there's all this, I relate to a lot of stuff and I, it tears me apart and I'm really unhappy. So I, I swing. 
it depends on the hour. It depends on the day. I sound bipolar, honestly, saying this, but there's there's a lot of variation to what I consider as happy. That said, I in the context of the question, it's more of are you living the right life? And a hundred percent, I'm with Daniel. I wouldn't trade it. I am. I there's there's very few things that I could actively change in a day that would change my life. I am doing everything I want, more or less. Um, yeah, you know, maybe I wish I could be in a bigger city, but I'm doing some really cool stuff in Amarillo, at least in my opinion, and that's worth it. And there's there's people here that I really value, and so there's certain trade offs that yeah, I might be unhappy about this, but I am happy about this other thing. I actually just read an article or a book piece, and it talked about Western culture. We really struggle with holding opposing feelings about something hmm. as like something we can do. It was in thinking again. That's what it was as a book. And and that's how I feel. Um, I'm not going to say, yes, I'm happy and there's nothing I want to change. I'm not going to say I'm super unhappy because there are so many things that I'm grateful for and so many people would be lucky to have that I do. So I, I, I'm both. I, I have moments that are both happy and unhappy at the exact same time. So sorry to give you a, a very non-specific answer. Yeah, that wasn't helpful. Answer. Yeah, sorry, man. Does it say in Think Again um, why we can't, why it's hard for Westerners to hold that in their head? The, yeah, it's language. The, it's, it's the same thing we talked about in the book about the four-letter words. Our language does not have the right words to express duality of something cognitive. We, we don't, we're very extremist in how we feel about things. And you can really only feel about one thing. And so all of these other cultures and languages have actual words mean like they have the meanings of something that in English takes like three paragraphs to explain what you're trying to say. And it's just a single word somewhere because it's a feeling. And so we don't have, and, and it's Western culture. We don't talk about our feelings a lot in general. It's a little bit more prevalent in progressive circles now, but even that it's, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. It's. It's very cliched. Um, people only talk about feelings in very certain contexts, almost as a signal of like, hey, I'm in your tribe. I'm in this progressive tribe, and we're going to talk about the kind of feelings that we talk about in this. People don't have meaningful conversations a lot of the time about feelings in Western culture. And it's it goes back to the language we have to express how we feel. And we just have a crappy language. Yeah, I was wondering if it, it delved into um, simply like, Eastern philosophy versus Western philosophy. Language is a great point, uh, but there's also there's a, a tendency of Westerners to think in terms of certainties. And so to hold certainties um, and a deterministic uh, mindset, it's really hard to hold paradox and duality at the same time. So like the paradox of feeling, um, I don't know if y'all have heard of Jason F Silva, uh, but He's kind of like a, a personality and has a podcast and everything. And he, he talks about uh, like this ephemeral nature of everything in one of his videos. And that's why we are filled with um, like like pain and but also love when we see somebody that we do love, you know, because we there's this underlying feeling that it's going to end this ephemeral feeling that the transient nature of everything. And then also, but I, like I love them. You know, it's beautiful. So there's like pain and beauty tied into this one experience. But as Westerners and thinking in this deterministic way of like, it's really hard to process it because we don't, we don't think of it as like, we, we think of it as a, an either or thing. It's black and white. And you mentioned this gray area, like this gray 
And I love that because my last name's Gray. And <laughs> I, th- I was hoping you'd say it's because Jonah's last name is Gray. I, I just I didn't want it. to say it in public. You know, <laughs> Daniel's on here and I've got a thing with Daniel, you know, publicly. Gotcha. So, But uh, this, this uh, I kind of, I love playing in paradox. I love playing in uh, this idea that uh, you, you can hold these two ideas or these two feelings or these two whatever that seem like they contrast each other, but they're connected. They're two sides of the same coin or two sides of the same thread. So they're they're the same thread though. They're the same coin. But I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that. If y'all do, hey, feel free. I don't hundred percent. A question like the are you happy? It's kind of it's kind of the wrong it's something maybe we could have explained a little better because it is. Most of the time there's a lot of duality, like you said, there's two sides of one coin. So the the mm. goal we're kind of looking for is not necessarily like, hey, do you wake up and you you're chipper and you're you're thrilled to be alive, um, which you should be, but that's hard to keep in front of mind all the time. It's more of are you happy with what you're doing? Are you happy with the choices you're making? And if not, what do you need to do to be happy with the choices? You don't have to be happy with where you're at in life. Or you don't even have to be happy in the you know emoji sense. It's just, are you happy with what you're choosing to do and how you're doing it and where you're doing it and everything like that? It's all about the choices. Did you are you fulfilled? Would have been a better question. Are you living a good and fulfilled life? So there's there's a little bit more context to that than we probably should have explained better. So sorry guys. Daniel, got anything to add on that? Well, the idea of of holding two different ideas, I've heard that described as what it means to critically think about something. And Mm. I definitely agree with that. I I think you have to be able to look at the whole picture to understand something a little bit better. And and I I think the idea of what you mentioned, you when you see somebody you love and you feel this love, but then you kind of feel the pain of either knowing that they'll like that time could end or whatever, like that kind of bitter sweetness. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I just think that that's what lets us be able to experience different things because of maybe this is the theme for the podcast uh, because of contrast. So <laughs> you you don't really appreciate how much you sort of love somebody unless you don't have them around or unless you have been in a state where you didn't have that type of relationship and and you don't feel kind of that pain of loss if you don't have a deep love for somebody you don't sort of have one without the other and so for me i think that's okay and i i guess what i would try to steer others away from is this kind of you have to be happy all the time or you have to be good all the time it's like there is a time to rejoice for sure. There is a time to be happy, to experience joy and all of that sort of stuff. And and kind of to the point of the book, hopefully it's at a point when you're kind of fulfilling a life purpose or you're just, you know, just experiencing something fun, something novel, something new. But there's also a time to not rejoice. There's a time Mm -hmm. to, uh, to just kind of be down on stuff. Like we, whether it's, making bad decisions that you've got to learn from or whether it's just crappy stuff happens in the world, like a pandemic, right? Like you're not going to, you're not going to be a hundred percent all the time. 
and that is okay. And there are things that you can learn from that where it gets dangerous and where I feel like you, you start to fall into something like a depression is when you're like, I'm unhappy and it's not okay that I'm unhappy and I'm going to be unhappy forever. Like you're beating yourself up for it, which obviously makes you feel more unhappy. I, I think there's an importance to you know, kind of dwelling in the moment of this kind of low point and, and then figuring out where to go from there. So that's my two cents about, you know, these kind of contrasting feelings, contrasting ideas and, and all of that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you, I love that you say that, um, kind of describe that, how, how, like getting into a depression and how we come out of it. It's not necessarily, um, you know, just flip the switch and it you're you're happy you know you don't you don't <laughs> no. shame yourself into f- because you're sad and that makes you happy you know because that's that's kind of a tendency is you're not supposed to like sadness and depression or mad be getting angry and being mad is is a no no and you know? it's like well i mean they're just emotions they're really self-regulatory honestly um so but part of the problem is uh, and you you kind of describe this as like desiring to be anything but what I am. You know, this, I am sad, I desire to be happy. And so that perpetuates the sadness. And it's like, well, can you accept that you're sad? But, um, you know, it's, it's like this, you're observing, in, in observing the contrast, you're observing the paradox of, you know, sadness and happiness of the same coin, two sides of the different coin. Now, how do I get from one to the other? And that's, well... It just, it travels back and forth. Um, I kind of uh, described this in, in my last episode with uh, my little brother of this feeling of the, this analogy of breathing. This, this, there's an expansion and then there's a, there's an inhale and then there's an exhale. There's a shrinking. So we have a tendency, well, we um, kind of idealize holding at the top of the breath expanding to, you know, being overjoyous all the time, being happy all the time. And then at some point, you know, you got to let go, you got to let go of the breath and you got to, you got to inhale, you know, so, uh, or sorry, exhale. So that way you shrink to the bottom of the breath, you know? And so, but then some people get stuck in this shrunkenness, this being at the base of the breath and they're just taking shallow breaths over and over again, because they're afraid to expand to, uh, being, bigger to expand to fulfill any type of potential that they have because of you know how long they held their breath up the top or you know the rejection that they experienced up there or whatever else but or when they put themselves out there but just the thought um yeah yeah and i i think that a way that you can practically get back to where you sort of inhale again is by talking to other people that have have been there that have more experiences than you that have more wisdom than you you know and the i i'm not somebody who has has battled like severe depression but i've gone through some bouts of that and the thing that is the scariest is this pervading thought that this is forever this is how it's going to be and it's sort of an overwhelming thing. And it does cause you to, for lack of a better term, like hyperventilate, right? Like taking all these little mm-hmm. shallow breaths. Um, but if you can get perspective and wisdom from someone who has been in a really similar situation and can just help you to understand like that 
that feeling passes, that moment passes, like there is another side of it and like kind of helps you adjust your gaze. Then you can take that deep breath again. You can sort of move on and then you build identity capital to the next time something like that rolls around. Like you can stay in that low place and and you can learn from it because you understand this isn't a low place forever. This serves a purpose and it will pass and and you can sort of appreciate that more. Uh, And then hopefully like you, you then will turn around and help somebody else who's gone through, who's going through something similar. And I I just think that's so valuable, so needed. Um, But the thing that's scary about depression is it pushes you towards isolation. And that is the exact opposite of what you need in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrew, do you have anything to add on? No, you guys are killing it. I don't want to dilute the information. (laughs) (laughs) Delete. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you make some excellent points in, um, handling depression. Um, you know, as someone who has had some very intense bouts with depression, uh, and kind of some chronic depression, yeah, I I could definitely weigh in on. It's not easy doing it by yourself. It's not impossible, but it's re- it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, mostly because you do find yourself in this state of um, like I like I said, you perpetuate it by wanting to be happy, desiring to be anything else than what it is. Uh, and conversations do help. Conversations uh, when I did make it out. And people, friends, uh, pull me out of my comfort zone and have interactions with me. Those did help. But, you know, after I'm also an introvert. So after a while, it just gets to be way too much. So I have to become a recluse (laughs) and dive right back into being alone because that's where um, generally when I'm in a good headspace, that's where I thrive. So it's, it's this dichotomy of and balance of, of, well, there's this thing that uh, I'm experiencing called depression. Um, and, but that, that was one thing. I mean, y'all, y'all talked about language uh, or Andrew talked about language and think again and changing your language surrounding like how you describe the reality is it changes your reality. So versus saying I am depressed or uh, like basically having an identity as somebody who is depressed. It's now I feel depressed and coming into the understanding that feelings come and go. Feelings fade. Just like happiness, you know, happiness, like why can't I experience the happiness that I experienced um, a month ago when I was with my friends doing that one thing that one time? It's like I, I could do everything in my power to recreate that exact circumstance and still not be happy. Now, the problem is I'm desiring, I'm wanting to be happy. I didn't, I'm not letting myself do it. I'm not letting myself experiencing it, experience it. But what we didn't do in the situation where we were happy was wonder, well, why, why, the, why the hell am I happy right now? What is going on? Why can't I be sad? It's like you, the thing is, is you're allowing yourself to be happy right there. And so that's, that's one thing that helped me with my bouts. And, you know, I'd still uh, feel depressed from time to time. I go through those phases. I have those periods of depression. But it's, for me, um, more about acceptance than anything. Accepting that I am sad and not trying to change it. It's accepting that I am not living my life or uh, the way that I want to or... Um, I'm not spending the time around the people that I need to be spending the time, my time around. But um, anyway, 
if y'all have something to add to that, I would love to, we can shoot off that, but no, I'm, I'm good. That's, I'm just sad. No, you gotta set the mood. I was, I have a tendency to do that. Set the mood. Um, I need to, we need to skip around a little bit just cause you know, we're hitting the hour 30 mark. Um, but how do you cope with stress? That's one thing that I wanted to touch on. Oh, for me, it's a hundred percent the gym. Um, it's short and simple. I'll give you finally a short and simple answer. Uh, I compartmentalize it a little bit, go to the gym, and usually once I get a little further, get away from a little bit with some perspective, um, a lot of the stress I have is usually not all that meaningful once I step away from it to a certain distance and, you know, work through it a little. I think for me, it's about taking a look at the, well, first trying to identify the thing that's stressing me out. Hopefully I can identify it Um, once I have then I will try to either actually list out or just mentally list out what are the things that I can actively do um, to take action with this stressful situation. So if I'm stressed because I have a big sales presentation later on the week, then what I'll do is take time and schedule 30 minute blocks for myself the days leading up to the presentation to practice it. Um, and even though I haven't practiced it yet, and I may not feel ready yet, me taking that time and putting on the calendar where I see, okay, here's the time that I'm going to work on this and I can feel confident when it comes, I'm going to be ready for it. Um, that's what helps me to, to alleviate stress. Just being able to say, I've taken the action that this stress emotion is eliciting. Like it's, it's driving me to do something and I've now done something. I can cross it off the list. I can move on to whatever the next thing is. For the most part, that works. Um, if I can't identify what's stressing me out, which does happen sometimes, then it's, it's using like breathing techniques is a lot of times what I'll do. Um, or the gym. Also do the gym. Uh, no, you can't use that one. I already used it. Well, that's why I said a bunch of other things, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yours were a lot better than mine. Listen to Daniel. What, right. What what uh, what breathing techniques? Is there um, anything in particular? Yeah, I, I do a, just a really simple one. I forget the name of it, but all you do is just take a quick deep breath in and then breathe out as slowly as you can. And so it's the whole thing is you are taking uh, shorter breaths in and then breathing out longer and doing that uh, stimulates your, I think it's vagus nerve. Um, so it is it is a way to help sort of stimulate your brain, calm you down. Um, the last thing that I'll, I'll say stress wise that you can do that, th- th- and this applies to stress, anxiety, fear, whatever it is, is just take the time to ask yourself questions about it, to apply curiosity to it. That's typically pretty helpful. And both of those were pulled from the, uh, the whole brain health thing that I turned Andrew onto that he mentioned earlier in the podcast. Very good. Yeah. There's, there's also some grounding techniques that, that I use personally. Um, I mean, I have my own kind of grounding technique, but there's, I forget how many of each thing that they do in this other one where, you know, you look around and you, you find like one thing that you can touch and then, uh, two things that you can smell and then three things that you can hear. And you go through the five senses basically. But for me, it's like, it's all tactile. And I, I kind of look around and see what I can touch and imagine feeling it. And it's the purpose of it is really just to ground you in the present moment. 
that reorient you, reorient you to like here and now, because you know what 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 happens when we're stressed out is uh, well, specifically with like anxiety is um, our mind kind of takes off with the keys, you know. But those are good. I like that the gr- the grounding technique. Yeah, that's I've seen that. I've not seen it. It's like I've done it in yoga, basically when they're mm. doing the. Uh, wow, it's been a while since been to a yoga class, but at the very end where they basically, that's what they walk you through at the very end of yoga. And it really does. It relaxes the heck out of me. I fall asleep faster doing that in yoga class with all these people around that I do every night going to bed. <laughs> it's like you need to do a yoga class right before bed. God, that'd be great. Yeah, just in your room. Somebody's doing a yoga class for you. What is one thing that you hate doing? Hmm, for me, I mean, besides math, because we've talked about that a little bit, um, I, I really dislike getting up early. Uh, okay, hate. I really hate getting up super early, which I think is a healthy thing to do and is important. But man, I hate it. Mm, this is uh, there are definitely things that I hate to do. I feel like a lot of them are like superficial. Like I hate doing the dishes. But I'm trying to think of a more substantial thing that I hate doing. I uh, I I hate breaking people's hearts. That's it's something in management you sort of have to do. Like you have to tell people. No, you didn't get promoted or no, you don't get to keep your job. Um, so I, I hate doing that. I I even hated I, I would rarely be the one to bring up the breakup conversation in relationships. So going all the way back to to the, the high school days. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Oh, uh, yeah. See, I thought Daniel was about to tell us that he just every day just getting DMs. And he's like, sorry, <laughs> I've got a wife and just dropping these women like flies or men like flies. And I was like, wow. I didn't know he was so popular. <laughs> You're like the, the management thing makes sense. That's tough. It is hard having those conversations with people that are not positive. I I've been sucking at it. It's very difficult, well, especially when you form like relationships with them. You get to know them, and then you have to introduce yeah. the professional aspect. But yeah, yep. but yeah. Um, on mine, I said wasting time. I hate wasting time. Ooh, <laughs> that that's a good t- one. That's fair. That's a really good one. Uh, we're nearing, um, kind of the, where I cut off. So are there any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns we want to wrap up with? Nah, man, I'm good. Andrew has no thoughts. Good to know. (laughs) Brainless. Brainless is what they say. No thoughts. Um, (laughs) no, I, I feel like I got, I feel like I got my thoughts out there. Good, good. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you guys any longer than I have to. Thank you for coming on to Rethoughts. I enjoyed having you guys on as guests. So, well, absolutely, yeah. dude. Thank you for having us on and reading the book and repping for yeah. us. It is, you are a great friend. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a great cast. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I've even listened. I'm just kidding. No, but uh, we'll have to, <laughs> if Daniel, if you're in town at any point, we'll have to do like a mace workout or something. I don't know if, sure. I don't know if uh, Andrew's talked to you at all about kind of what I do on in my free time, but that's a little bit what I do. I don't know if we have talked about that, but I, uh, I'll probably be in Amarillo in about six months. Okay. So you're the worst. I just, I just don't go back. I was talking to Kurt about that. I go once a year and just convince anybody that I want to see to come and see me. That's the goal. I feel that you're like the Grinch of travel. I, I was <laughs> the same way when I was living in Denton. So, but I mean, it's fair. I get it guys. I get it. Well, Well, thanks for having us on, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And that wraps up uh, episode three of Rethoughts season two. Thank you for listening to Rethoughts. 
Follow us on Instagram at re underscore thoughts. You can also subscribe through email on our website at rethoughts.com. Follow us on wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you can keep up with our new episodes. We love hearing from our listeners, so contact us through Instagram or our website and tell us what you've been rethinking or request a topic that you'd like us to talk about. Thanks for listening.